fancy penis. <laughs> Dion Waiters. I can't believe that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I remember my father telling me a hundred years ago that it's always good to have confidence in your abilities. Okay. Always believe in yourself. Dion Waiters, daddy, wherever he may be. Pump this young man so far up full of crap. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, Michael Jordan, not on. Never mind. I, we'll go to that next episode. I promise. I'm just so pumped up about that. I've Chris sent me that like Wednesday of this week, and I've just been chomping at the bit ever since. But as we welcome you to this 493rd episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, hello. We are here. Hope everything is as good as it can be. Uh, whatever neck of the woods that you're in right now during this COVID-19 pandemic, got some news and notes about that too. In this difficult and unique time that we are living in, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's team announced that his vacation home in Quebec, about 90 minutes east of Ottawa, is undergoing an $8.6 million renovation right now. Let me ask you something. In the days that we're in right now, does it really need to be made national or national news that they're doing an $8.6 million renovation on Trudeau's vacation home in Quebec. I mean, there's got to be time and place for everything, guys. And right now, where people are suffering and losing their jobs, and they don't have the money to make their mortgage payments, and we're getting news and notes from Trudeau's team that they're undergoing an $8.6 million renovation on his vacation home? Come on. Somebody on his team has got to have a better sense of timing than that. My Lord. I guess the, I guess, okay, here we go. I guess the uh, silver lining is that, because remember, we as taxpayers from the country of Canada are paying for this $8.6 million renovation. Am I getting invited over for a barbecue? I don't think so. I wouldn't go anyway. He's a limp dick. But here's the thing. I guess the silver lining is, the original estimation on the renovation, it was going to be $17 million. So we saved ourselves some pain and agony by the, the number of $8.6 million on the renovation instead of seventeen. You always got to look at the cup being half empty instead of half full, right? Or vice versa. I think that's just ridiculous. That's something that could have been left unmentioned until we got way out of this COVID-19 bullshit. I'm thinking somebody on Trudeau's team screwed up, and I'm just letting them know. I think that's preposterous. As again, we welcome you to this. My heart's just racing. Uh, between Dion Waiters and some limp dick on Trudeau's team, my, my blood pressure is rising as we welcome you to this 493rd episode. And after such a nice 492nd <laughs> episode, uh, Rip and Vince and, and Chris telling you nice things, about the great ring announcer Howard Finkel, and we just had a really nice episode. Chris even made comment that, I like that episode. And then you got me coming on talking about these limp dicks. Um, we're going to the National Football League. The NFL draft is now less than a week away. At this time next week, will be, it'll be uh, the second day of the three-day event. Um, the NFL is going to be broadcasting basically from... Jane Goodell's husband's basement. I have a question. 
a guy that makes $40 million annually, what kind of basement is it? What's, what's his basement going to look like? I'd imagine it's going to have a bar in it. When, you, when you're making $40 million, I mean, he's making more than any player in his league. And nobody does less with the National Football League than Roger Goodell. And he's making 40 bills, $40 million a year. I just, oh my God, I got it. We need a defibrillator in here. I want to ask Chris, and I want to ask all of you out there in Unscripted Land, what is one thing that you feel is going to happen that may surprise you at next week's draft? I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think Tua from Alabama, the left-handed quarterback, I think there's an injury history there, obviously with the hip, and and we've heard about a broken wrist he played with last year. Uh, If he doesn't get picked by the Dolphins at five, I think that could be a drop like Aaron Rodgers happened to him in 2005 where a lot of people thought that Rodgers would be number one in that 2005 draft. He ended up going, thankfully, to the Green Bay Packers at 24. I don't think if the Dolphins don't take Tua at five, I don't think Tua makes it. He'll make it in the first round, but I don't think he'll be a top tenner, let's say. That would be my biggest surprise in the early parts of next week's NFL draft. You got anything that you think is going to surprise us? Yeah, the uh, and it's similar to that, and it could affect Tua a little bit. I think it'll be interesting to see, I think, uh, where Justin Herbert goes because mm-hmm. a lot of people have kind of been pegging him at number six to the Chargers yeah. for a while, and that could still happen, don't get me wrong, but there's a couple of other destinations I could see. So uh, number one, at number three of the Detroit Lions, who are expected to either trade down... Well, yeah, just before you go on, I just need to make this point. I just learned this morning, as Chris mentions that, both the Detroit Lions at three and the New York Giants at four are now both saying that they're open, open to dealing their uh, th- those or those high picks. So somebody probably will take them up on that and go in and get a pretty damn good football player. Yeah, that's right. And at number three, if they stay there, though, I could still see them taking Justin Herbert as a successor to Matt Stafford. Who knows what's going on with Stafford right now? Everyone seems to think that the Lions will trade down or take Jeff Okuda, the big corner, and that's possible too. But I think they'll probably trade down. But if they do stay there, they could take Herbert. Also, the Miami Dolphins at number five need a quarterback of the future. And the thing forever has been Tua. It was Tua when he was supposed to go first overall before he got hurt and before Joe Burrow had the big season. Then after this happened, they end up winning a bunch of games because Brian Flores is a tough, scary man. And and, uh, so then they end up getting the fifth pick, but then that's about where they could still get Tua because of his crazy injury that he had this whole time. And then all all the talk's been about how Miami just loves Tua before, after, everything. But there's some talk now that they like Justin Herbert too. So I could see that Justin Herbert either goes at number three to the Lions or someone who trades with the Lions, or he goes to number five at the Dolphins. Now, I don't think he gets past number six to the Chargers, but I guess he could. But I think he goes somewhere in there. But I'm just thinking that he's probably not going to go to the Chargers if the Lions or the Dolphins have anything to say about it. Maybe I shouldn't say probably, but I'm just thinking it's something that could really surprise people, or it wouldn't surprise me if he just went somewhere else completely. I think the landing spot for Justin Herbert might be one of the most interesting things in the first round coming up this week. No question. Um, The name I was looking for, and I just remembered it, so I'm pretty happy that I remembered it, but a name that seems to be very prevalent 
in regard to quarterbacks. You've heard the name Tua, obviously, Justin Herbert from, from Oregon. But this kid from Utah State, is it Jordan Love? Oh, I haven't really studied him yeah. very much. Yeah, he has been visited by about six other teams already. Good, character. and one of them, one of them is the Green Bay Packers. In regard to, this is a kid that uh, very strong armed, probably a little under the radar because he played at Utah State. Uh, but this kid is supposed to be the real deal, folks. And Belichick has even had time with him on a video chat. The Packers, the Patriots, and there's about six teams that have looked into this young man. Um, as a, you know, obviously as a future project, I think that the new England Patriots are going to have to obviously draft a quarterback somewhere. Um, I don't, I don't know how confident you can be, uh, replacing Tom Brady with what's his name? Jared Stidham. Right. Thank you. From Auburn university, just a second year player. Now I know obviously Tom Brady was a young buck when he, uh, you know, up, uh, sur- surpassed and uprooted and and whatever he did to screwed over Drew Bledsoe back in the day in uh, in New England. But uh, Jordan Love is a name that I keep hearing, and a lot of people again six teams have had really in depth conversations about him and with him about uh, his strengths, his weaknesses, and whatever have you. I found this funny as we continue talking about next week's NFL draft. I found this funny. Ex-NFL head coach, once the head coach of the Detroit Lions and then again of the San Francisco 49ers, back uh, in the year 2000 when Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round, 199th overall in that 2000 draft, Mariucci was the head coach and de facto general manager of the San Francisco 49ers at the time. He now, of course, works for the NFL Network. And somebody at the NFL Network asked Mooch the other day, Please explain why you didn't draft Tom Brady in 2000. And Mariucci's response was simply this. He wasn't ready. Now, I don't see why they're giving the gears to Mariucci because Tom Brady lasted until the sixth round, the 199th pick. There were 198 teams or 198 selections that could have drafted the former Michigan quarterback to play quarterback for their respective teams. So I don't know if they were just giving Mariucci the hard time because, you know, um, Mariucci did wonders in San Francisco with a guy named Jeff Garcia as his quarterback. And if you know the name Jeff Garcia at all, I mean, here's a guy that won a Grey Cup or two in the CFL, is from Gilroy, California, which is most capital, or excuse me, most popular or most, you know, prevalent for being the Gilroy, California is the garlic capital of the world for whatever reason that is. But it wasn't just the 49ers under Steve Mariucci in 2000 that missed on Tom Brady. There were 198 selections made before the New England Patriots made Tom Brady the 199th pick overall. So a lot of people, a lot of people have missed and missed at that time on Tom Brady. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think that there's going to be a lot of movement. I think that because of not being able to have these pre-draft visits, I think there's going to be some hesitation. I think there are going to be some teams. I think that that has led to some hesitation in regard to teams, you know, risking a number one, you know, your team's number one pick on a Tua from Alabama because what's the hip going to be like? What's the wrist going to be like? What's the ankle going to be like? And realistically, Chris brought up a good point to me this week. How many left-handed quarterbacks right now in the NFL are really prospering? And how many 
big-time quarterbacks have we had in the history of the NFL that are left-handed? Think about it. Steve Young. Steve Young. Kenny Stabler. Um, when, when, when Tim Tebow comes to mind, it's a bad sign. Oh, God, Tim Tebow, please. But yeah, you're right, left-handed. Um, won one playoff game. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm just very intrigued to see what happens. This is going to be so totally different for all of us because of, obviously, because of the situation with the COVID-19 pandemic. It's going to be interesting to see. Well, you know, here's the thing. There are going to be people that can't do what they want to do every time Roger Goodell takes the podium with a pick in his hand. They ain't going to be able to boo him when they're booing from his basement. Um, so, you know, very interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what happens. And you know what? I have to admit, I was a little bit fuzzy at the beginning why the NFL was going forward with this because of, you know, all the change that all of us have endured now here the last you know, a month to six weeks. But I have to say I'm very excited and, and happy that the NFL, this is one smart move, and I don't think Goodell made it. He couldn't have. Somebody at NFL Place, at Park Place 1 or whatever it is in New York, somebody made the right decision to go ahead with this draft because it gives us something to talk about, gives us something to look forward to. And again, Thursday, Friday night, next week will look a lot better watching the NFL draft uh, instead of reruns on regular TV. So I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, yeah. There's no reason to not have the NFL draft here. None whatsoever. It's the way to go. No question about that. And I'm really glad that they're going to go ahead with it for sure. It would have been really cool. I loved the idea of having it in Vegas, having it on the yes. Bellagio yeah. Pond, yeah. having them take the boat to the stage. Oh, that would have been so cool. People, I guess, watching from the railing there where you stand edge of the Bellagio Fountain right on the strip there. Yeah. Uh, you know, my favorite rooms at my favorite hotel in the Cosmopolitan sit right there, right overlooking and love to be hanging out up there, watching there. And like I sent to you the one day as well, yesterday, I said, like, how much fun, like how many good stories would we get about hotshot young 21 or 22 year old young men in Vegas, lots of money, lots of promise. Uh, just got uh, basically a guarantee that they're going to be paid millions of dollars over the next little bit. And uh, I think that there could be lots of fun stories about happenings and goings on and blowing a lot of that money before you even earn it and getting into trouble and uh, hanging out with, you know, women of the night and whatever else. And I think it could be a lot of fun. So we really missed out on a lot of cool things. I, you know, just like we missed out on WrestleMania at the pirate ship at Raymond James Stadium. And now we're missing out at, you know, a draft on boats on the Bellagio pond there. I just, you know, it's really too bad. We're missing out on some really cool ideas. I thought that was just great. Taking the boat would have just been, I just think that would have been such a cool visual. So uh, I just, I, I'm really kind of sad about that. So, uh, but at least we're going ahead with the draft. There is absolutely no reason whatsoever right. to not have the NFL draft this week. It doesn't make any sense to not. And uh, I'm glad that they're going ahead with it. No, but at the beginning, you know, it. I just thought it was ambitious at the beginning. Because, again, we're so new to this and everything was being dropped like flies. I just thought maybe as a PR move, the NFL would at least postpone it. But I, I understand that. But, again, go back six weeks. We have been, every day we've been learning a little bit more about what this pandemic is is has done and continues to do to us as a society. And uh, at the time, six weeks ago, I thought it would have been the proper thing to do, considering that every league 
had canceled their games and suspended their seasons and yada, yada, yada. But again, I am fully on board now and looking forward to the NFL draft from Jane Goodell's husband's basement uh, starting Thursday of next week. Um, Going through a couple of other NFL notes on this edition of 493rd edition of our little program. We welcome and thank you for joining us. Christian McCaffrey made news this week as he is now the highest paid running back in the National Football League after his contract extension with the uh, Carolina Panthers. I don't remember exactly what the numbers are, but I do know that his contract will be worth over $16 million a season for how much, you know, for the duration of it, I do not know. But um, obviously, uh, a good signing for the Carolina Panthers. He is the number one player. He is the number one offensive option. And for Carolina, this contract probably works. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is coming in to be their quarterback. But as Chris will tell you, he is the master of the the dump-off pass and the safety valve pass and the five-year the five-yard out pattern and the the 10-yard crossing pattern, but not too much deep happens with Teddy underneath the center position. And obviously we saw the numbers that, that uh, McCaffrey produced last year. He is the offense in Carolina, but for the rest of the running backs in the national football league, we see now what McCaffrey has done. Is this a good signing for other running backs in the National Football League that are looking for a contract extension from their respective team. Oh, 100%. This was the right move to do, which I think that's the first time we can say that about the Carolina Panthers this offseason. This was the right thing for Christian McCaffrey. He deserved it. This is the right thing for the other running backs in the league, and you get a market for them. And they needed this too because I think McCaffrey's the real deal, and a lot of the guys the last years, like Devontae Freeman, didn't earn the big money he got. Todd Gurley uh, ended up having, uh, having degenerative knees. So there's been a lot of problems with big RB signings. And then, of course, when they've been big draft picks, you go back to Achilles Smith, whenever running backs have just been a really, really tough thing. Or even the Detroit Lions had Barry Sanders, but he couldn't single-handedly take them to a Super Bowl. So running backs are a real tricky thing for so many reasons. But he is such a complete player. And I've got four stats here I want to share with you about Christian McCaffrey that really drive this home. Yep. So all these stats I'm going to say are involving. I'm going to compare them in each case to someone else. And in each case, it, this is over their first three NFL seasons, okay? Okay. So Christian McCaffrey has more rushing yards in the first three seasons than Marcus Allen, has more receiving yards than Marvin Harrison, has more receptions than DeAndre Hopkins, and has more yards from scrimmage than Barry Sanders. Fuck yes, he deserved the money. 16 times 4. You can't argue with those statistics. No, I'm not. Now, in all four cases, he fairly narrowly beat them. Actually, receptions, he has 303, and DeAndre only had... 239 in his first uh, three seasons, but he narrowly edged out the other three. But more receiving yards in his first three years than Marvin Harrison. I mean, come on. Like, it's the guy is a freak of nature. He's unbelievable. He's going to be perfect for that offense. And it's especially good because Teddy Bridgewater is not only going into a new offense and a new system, but two of his big three receivers, and I'm talking about Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson, are deep threats. And he's not known as a deep threat quarterback, he's known as the dump off pass guy. DJ Moore is just a typical wide receiver. I don't know if they have really a great slot receiver. They've got a good young tight end, I suppose. But Christian McCaffrey is going to be a workhorse. And in fantasy football, 
when you add up all that and then you add to it the fact that I think he's going to have a ton of garbage time this year as well because the Carolina Panthers, I think, are going to do poorly. They've made some weird moves, weird signings. They get in Matt Rule, this head coach with no experience. They've got this new weird owner, David Tepper, who just doesn't seem to know what he's doing at all. And it just seems like an absolute disaster. I mean, he's kind of like, I think he's going to be our new truck stop Jimmy because he's also from the Steelers organization. And he thinks that, really, yes, and he thinks like, oh, okay, well, I was part of the Steelers, so I know everything the Steelers know. And no, you don't. No, you don't. And so now he's going to be the next thing. I'm telling you, the Carolina Panthers are going to be like the Cleveland Browns from now on, other than Christian McCaffrey, who's unbelievable. And uh, I just, he's my favorite player, I think, right now in the NFL. I love Christian McCaffrey. He deserves 16 times four. And I think that's absolutely fair for him. I think when you look at what some of these quarterbacks are making, like Jared Goff is obviously making a lot more than that. I think Christian McCaffrey as one of those rare Swiss Army knives who can do everything and do it on an elite level, so hard to find in football. Uh, I think he's absolutely worth it. This deal is going to look amazing i predict the entire way through he's still a young man i think two things i think first and foremost we need to see if we can copyright truck stop jimmy yeah here to unscripted so just to us i think that was brilliant by us to give him that moniker when second thing is we need to come up with something similar like that to for david tepper when you talk like that now in regard i have an example for you and i want you to 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 see where i'm coming from from this I think the McCaffrey signing makes a great amount of sense for the Carolina Panthers because, as we just mentioned, you both, you, both you and I have mentioned about some of the deficiencies of Teddy Bridgewater, but Teddy Bridgewater also is on a lower-scale contract. Mm-hmm. How would you like to be Aaron Jones of the Green Bay Packers right now? Oh, yeah. Who's looking for a contract extension. He's got one year left on his rookie deal. Last year, Jones scored 19 touchdowns and produced over 1,500 yards of offense, total offense, from the line of scrimmage in 2019. And if you're Brian Gutekunst from the, from the Packers and you're their money guy, their cap guy, he's a guy by the name of Russ Ball, and you're, you're obviously head coach Matt, Le, Le, Matt LaFleur and your uh, president Mark Murphy, you're going to have a problem here. Now, if you have a lower tiered or a, a contra, excuse me, a quarterback on a rookie contract, you can give Aaron Jones sixteen million dollars. But how do you pay Aaron Jones, as I call it, McCaffrey money, while you are paying Aaron Rodgers north of thirty-three million for the next four seasons? That's the Packers' dilemma right now, and because of that dilemma and what they owe Rodgers for the next four years, which they don't have that liability in Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater. And of course, obviously, Cam Newton isn't there anymore. How do you get around? I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers had to draft a running back next week. Because, well, if Aaron Rodgers, excuse me, if Aaron Jones is adamant that he deserves uh, McCaffrey-like money, Packers are going to be in a lot of trouble. They cannot afford to spend $16 million per season on a running back when you're paying your quarterback $33 million plus the next four years. Well, it's not just Aaron Jones. The running back free agent class of 2021 is like a who's who right. of running backs exactly. in the NFL. Yeah. And McCaffrey was tops on that list. Now and he's deservedly so. Yeah. But it's a little easier 
moving funds around in Carolina right now than it is in Green Bay just because of the quarterback. Oh, position. absolutely it is. Of course it is. But listen to this list. Here's just the top 10, and it includes McCaffrey, who's now off the market. But listen to this. This is the who's who. Alvin Kamara, yeah. Derek Henry, Delvin Cook, Aaron Jones, Philip Lindsay, Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette, Kenyon Drake, and Kareem Hunt. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 the who's who. it's the who's who. Absolutely if, correct. Yeah, if these, any of these guys go to market and you need a running back, if you're willing to pay, you're going to get a well, top-notch you know elite guy. I, I take a lot of pot shots at Ted Two-Tone Thompson, the former general manager of the Green Bay Packers, but what a brilliant selection that was in the fifth round out of UTEP to get Aaron Jones. But Aaron Jones has already exceeded expectations in Green Bay, and I'm afraid he's ex- exceeded the salary cap ramifications of re-signing him to a second contract in Green Bay because he's going to be too expensive when, again, you're paying Danica Patrick's boyfriend 33-plus millions dollars for the next four years. Interesting. I don't, and I say this with all respect to one of our great friends of the show, and I'm talking about Greg. Greg, I, I respect the hell out of you. Your knowledge is, well, probably better than mine. But I, I've got to take some shots here at your L.A. Rams. What the hell's going on? Why haven't the L.A. Rams paid Todd Gurley and Clay Matthews III what they have coming to them? What's, what's going on? You made contractual obligations. Now, here's the second question I have. Why haven't you paid those two? And then why this week did they have to announce to the world that they will get compensated? That should just be a given, guys. That's what contracts are for. And I know contracts are a lot easier to get a, get in and out of these days because of fine print and, you know, uh, sleazy lawyers and, and whatever else have you. But, I, you know, ever since the Rams lost the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, the Rams have gone in the wrong direction. Not only record-wise, but personnel-wise – and some of the things that they've had to do because Les Snead went a little, he went a little crazy with some of the contract extensions that he offered. And it cost him, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it cost him two number ones, if I'm not mistaken, for Jalen Ramsey. Great corner, no question, but it really hampers your ability if you're that tight up against the cap that you haven't paid Gurley and Matthews what you owe them. Um, obviously, there's some real cap restraints in Los Angeles in regard to the Rams. And obviously you can't improve yourself, you know, in the free agent market because you just don't have the funds to do it. Um, And is that going to affect what you're going to do in the draft next week? And really what really the Rams, what will the Rams do in the draft next week? They don't have a lot of draft inventory available to them because they've traded it away. A lot of it to Jacksonville, some of it to Baltimore, whatever else have you. So, Give me your, you know, I know you're a Rams fan and we both have great respect for Greg and I like the Rams too, don't get me wrong, but we were heaping praise. I was listening to an episode the other day on one of my walks that we were talking about the Rams as the second coming and all this other, and all the great moves that Les Snead has made and this was back in 2018, but we're sitting here two years later and the Rams, to me, are going in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's really shaky right now in Los Angeles with the Rams for sure. I do like that they got a second round pick from Butchin. That, oh, that's pretty. You good. and I could screw over Butchin. Yeah, yeah. So that's good, but uh, yeah, it's, nothing seems to be clicking right now. And I think once they can get back on the field and you get Sean McVay 
where he can turn chicken yeah. shit into chicken salad. I think like he's going to be uh, great there. They've still got Aaron Donald. They've still got a great receiving core. They've still got all sorts of great stuff that you can like. I, I wish they would have tried harder to, to retain Corey Littleton, an amazing four-down linebacker. Right. Four-down linebacker, yeah. which is very, very tough to find. Right. I don't like they let him go. And you know what they really shouldn't have done, especially with all... They've had cap constraints for years. I mean, famously, when, when Khalil Mack became available, they had $100 on their cap or whatever. Right. It was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They shouldn't have given... Jared Goff the mega deal they should have given him a bridge deal he was riding high looking good but he'd been so bad it's like all of a sudden everything's clicking in McVeigh and just everything's working the O-line finally was good and all of a sudden he looks amazing and he's just rocking it every week they still should have had the restraint and this was on this is on Les Snead should have had the restraint to go try and get a bridge deal uh you know just get a couple years in there because the mega deal is really hampering them and Jared Goff well I like Jared Goff and he is smart and he works hard yeah, and oh there's yeah. a lot yeah. to like about Jared Goff and he's one of those guys you know Russell Wilson doesn't really need an O-line uh Jared Goff needs an O-line but there are quarterbacks like that where if you give them a good O-line they can be great and so they really need to prioritize that but yes they're gonna be what five years in a row now without a first round pick it's I think it's got to be a record I think and so that makes it tough. I don't fault them for giving up two firsts for an elite corner like Jalen no, Ramsey. No. I, I don't, but especially when they're recouping stuff from Butchin there, that's great. And uh, they've let Clay Matthews go, and they're they're trying to get it figured out. They let Brockers go, and then they end up re-signing him for $10 million a year. So it's kind of like they're all over the place here. So I think they need to get it together, but... It's exacerbated by the fact that then they come up with this logo stuff, and then even that's not working. So, like, the one LA Rams logo, apparently they're allegedly listening to all the negative feedback they've gotten. But as of right now, last I checked, their Twitter feed still had the new LA Rams logo, yep. and it looks like it says LA with the the with the Rams horn, but it looks like the bolt, and it looks like it's the LA Chargers logo. Yeah. Yeah. And like I told you the other day as well, they have that ram that looks like a fancy penis, as I said. <laughs> I'm right glad now. you said yeah. that. <laughs> so it's like, what is that thing? It looks like some kid designed it in like art class or something and just stuck it out there. They need to re redo the whole thing. They need to figure out their uh, uniforms. They need to figure out their salary cap. I think they need to figure out a team identity too. I don't really know what they're going for at this point. I mean, yeah, Aaron Donald can cover up a lot of flaws and you'd like to think Sean McVay can really uh, play to strengths and hide weaknesses. I, you know, if you can get a good O-line there, I still like the whole golf to Cooper Cup and Robert Woods thing. Yeah. Uh, and even that Josh Reynolds, I think is a good cheap option there as well. Uh, they've even without Gurley, that's going to be a big change too, but Malcolm Brown and some of their other guys they've had have, have shown a lot of promise as well. So I just, I, I it's really tough. They could go back to being the four-win Rams. They could go back to being 12 wins. I don't know what's going on with the Rams. I believe in Sean McVay. I believe in Aaron Donald. And there's a lot to like there. I mean, what about Gurley? What a great guy in the locker room to have around. Losing him, I think, is going to make the team feel a lot different. Yep. They need to really figure out what they're doing here, and they need to get an O-line. And if there's one team that could just go bottom of the standings or top of the standings next year it's the la rams who knows what the hell is going to happen it's going to be very interesting to find out sean mcveigh i think has his work cut out for him i will say this and um i, I am surprised and i think this is going to be an adjustment for the la rams too their decision to not renew the contract of defensive coordinator wade phillips 
I think is going to be difficult to overcome. I just now question I'm, one too. Yeah. I'm a huge Wade Phillips fan, and when Aaron Donald praises you as one of the guys, the best guys that he's ever played under, as a coordinator, I think that speaks volumes. And I don't know what happened there. I don't claim to know what happened there. All I'm saying is, from my outsider's perspective, I think the loss of him as defensive coordinator is going to be an adjustment as well for the members of the Los Angeles Rams defense for this upcoming season, yeah. at least at the beginning. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel a little more confident than I did with Denver because Denver, you're you're firing him because he doesn't get along with Vance Joseph. Like, who the fuck is Vance Joseph, right? Yeah, exactly. Sean McVay is the new prototype of what a coach should be in the NFL, and he's a young man. He's still early 30s. Like, it's unbelievable. He is the standard by which all other new hires, especially young coaches, are measured. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gone to a Super Bowl. He turned around a franchise. And I mean, Wade Phillips does deserve some of that credit. But if the you know if Snead and McVeigh decided the best thing to do for whatever reason, right, who knows? Right. Maybe they just thought he was uh, getting out of touch or too set in his ways, or who knows? But for whatever reason, they decided he needed to go. I have to trust the judgment of Sean McVeigh. I want to think that he's not some sort of egomaniac suddenly I, I like to think he's he's smarter than that so I, I'm gonna believe in him I never believed in Vance Joseph but I do believe in Sean McVeigh so I'll, I trust him but yeah they, they need to have a good plan and they need to make sure that uh, that defense looks good because they'll be under the microscope for that if their defense looks like crap everyone's gonna say you guys were stupid for firing Wade Phillips so they better be ready for that and I like to think that they will be before we get out of here on this 493rd episode of Unscripted, I just I just had to make note of this. And um, <laughs> I want Cam Newton to find a job somewhere. I think he deserves another shot somewhere. He may have to be a backup quarterback for a while. I know that isn't in his DNA, and he feels that, uh, you know, he wouldn't probably agree with you or with me, but... I think this this spells trouble uh, a lot of different ways. Leonard Fournette. Now, I know at the beginning of last season when Chris and I made our, our uh, picks for offensive and defensive player of the year and yada, 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 I picked Leonard Fournette as my surprise as offensive player of the year for the AFC. After what he did in 2018, I was confident coming into 19 on that team that Leonard Fournette, you know, he was spectacular at at LSU, and he had that great 2018 season with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but then 2019, he slips into some bad habits, and I think a lot of the the habits happened in that six inches between his ears. Um, But Leonard Fournette is trumping the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars organization to acquire quarterback Cam Newton. And I know they need a quarterback there. I don't think you, your long-term solution at quarterback is the porn star Minchu. Um, you know, I think, I think there are guys that need to know their limitations. And I think Minchu, with all respect, did a great job last year in a relief role. I get that. But there are guys that are starters and there are guys that are relievers. And I believe in my heart of hearts that Minchu, long-term, is a backup quarterback. Come in, give your team a little bit of a boost. Come in and and do a nice job replacing the injured starter or whatever. But 
I don't see how this works well for Cam Newton coming down and being the starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think for Cam Newton, that's taking two steps backwards instead of taking two steps forwards. It's a tough place to go. I mean, I guess you'd have to make the argument that it's better to be a starter somewhere than yeah. to be get into the backup role and then have to work your way back to starter and then perceptions about you change. He's already had a lot of perceptions change about him because of his his foot injury and becoming vegan and getting injured a lot more when that happened. And he seemed like he hasn't had the same happy attitude as when he was able to eat whatever he wanted and so <laughs> you know he just seems like a bit of a different person and I'm, I've always been such a big fan of Cam Newton I really like him and uh, you know I feel really bad what's happened to the Panthers because they had some of my favorite players and my wife's favorite players too I mean we love McCaffrey love Cam Newton love Luke Keekley who retired now and now all of a sudden the Carolina Panthers have lost two of those guys I like the idea if I'm if I'm the cons if I'm shot and Tony Khan if I have the opportunity to bring in Cam Newton, I think he'd be a great guy to bring in because, like you said, I think Gardner Minshew is a great backup, and I think people find really enjoy him as a personality. I think Cam Newton's the same way, at least typical Cam. You know, what a great combination of two hilarious personalities make people actually want to buy some tickets. Even during a rebuild, I think people would want to go see Cam Newton and Gardner Minshew at the park. And I, I think that, um, at least for now, you've got Leonard Fournette. Uh, so, I mean... If you're going to do a rebuild, it never hurts to have some decent veteran leadership and some great personalities, guys that are good in the community, guys that are good. You know, Cam always likes to give the footballs to the kids and everything like that. And I think he'd be a good choice to add from the Jacksonville Jaguars point of view for him. I I'm surprised he hasn't been signed yet. Clearly, there's a lot of issues uh, people are wondering about with him, I think, both physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. And so I think for him, it would be better to go and be a starter somewhere, because I think he would beat out Minshew, I think that's better than getting into the backup universe and then having a hard time getting out of that. So, And also, it might look like he's settling. If he just like signs somewhere as a backup, it's like, okay, he's done. He's tapped out. He's just earning a check now. And I think you get you know the perceptions that are rampant clearly by the fact that he's not signed yet are going to get worse if that happens. So if I was him, I'd sign anywhere that, are, that you could be a starter. Even Jacksonville, which should be the worst team in the league this year. But who knows? If we get classic Cam, maybe they aren't the worst team in the league. But uh, I well, think you know, he'd be worth it. I think the name we keep hearing and putting two and two together is Cam... Uh, finally finding his way to the Los Angeles Chargers. But you know what? I don't think that's a done deal yet. And I don't think people no. are giving Tyrod Taylor enough credit. Exactly. Tyrod Taylor can play football, folks, and he can lead your team. And I do believe that the, the Los Angeles Chargers will be picking a quarterback in this draft. Exactly. But this quarterback would be a project, would be a next-year starter or the year-after starter. People still have this... I don't know, block in their head that Tyrod Taylor can't play, and I think they're terribly wrong. Mm -hmm. Tyrod Taylor did some really good things on some really shitty Buffalo and Cleveland teams. And if you give him the opportunity, and, you know, um, pains as it does for me to say, even though I'm happy Balaga's out of Green Bay, if he's healthy with Balaga and the trade that they made with Carolina – uh, the Los Angeles Chargers have improved, which I think is their biggest weakness, which is offensive line. If you give him an improved offensive line, I think Tyrod Taylor is basically going to tell people that you're all full of shit and I can't play this game. And I think the Los Angeles uh, 
Chargers would be better off staying with Tyrod Taylor. I really believe that. And you don't have to agree with me. I have the forum here to say this, and I truly believe that people are not respecting Tyrod Taylor's game enough. And I think that you are really mistaken. Now, if he gets hurt in week one, that's another thing. But I think if he can stay healthy, people are not giving proper credit to Tyrod Taylor. I don't know if that's a combination of being around you for the last three years or whatever <laughs> else, but I've seen a lot of tape on Tyrod Taylor. He's got a strong arm. He's got the mobility to overcome some bad offensive line play and make plays with his feet and make play with his mind. And I think that's what the Los Angeles Chargers need more than anything. Oh, I completely agree with you 100% there. I think Tyrod Taylor is a great quarterback, and I think he's underrated. And I especially love him in that offense. How the hell do you stop that offense if he plays? Let's say he just plays as Tyrod Taylor, a a mobile quarterback with a big arm, like you said. Let's say he plays even average for him. How do you like what do you what are you stopping there? So let's and let's like you know, assume that Brian Belaga and Trey Turner play well in the offensive line and really shore that up. So you've got this, you know, who's basically a Cam Newton, maybe a poor man's Cam Newton, but not compared to how Cam's played lately. Let's say you have that back there. So Tyrod is a threat to run all the time. He's a threat to throw it anywhere on the field, including deep. He's got amazing uh, an amazing slot receiver in Keenan Allen. He's right. got an amazing, tall, lanky, deep threat in Mike Williams. He's got a dynamic little, uh, you know, gadget back, but who's more than that, who can also be a starter in Austin Eckler, who just signed a new contract. He's got the insanely underrated Justin Jackson, who helped facilitate that trade with Melvin Gordon, or that letting him go, I should say, because Justin Jackson, anytime he f- steps in, fills in admirably. You can make him that more typical running back. Uh, make Austin Eckler kind of like a third down back, but who can get a lot of first and second down work because he's so good at everything. Austin Eckler is not only short and shifty and fast, but he's underrated in terms of his ability to catch the ball. He has, uh, you know, he has some of the best hands of any running back in the whole league. So there is no weapon, and and now and then they have Hunter Henry right as a tight end. Yeah, there is nothing on offense they don't have. With Tyrod Taylor even playing average for him. There is not one thing that another team can realistically do that they can't do. How do you stop that? And then you combine that with, yes, I think it's obvious, Tom Telesco, he I, he must just, if he hears people wondering about their quarterback situation, he must just laugh. Yeah. Because he must think, like, man, I've got lots to think about. The last thing I need to think about is this obvious thing where I'm going to get either Tua or Justin Herbert, almost for sure, at number six. I've got Tyrod Taylor here ready to go in a ready-made offense for him. He mentors this guy for anywhere from one game to two years, and then the other guy slides in. This is, like, obvious, obvious, obvious for anyone remotely paying attention. I completely agree with you. You're absolutely right. I like Tyrod Taylor a lot, and I think I'll like whoever they draft to go with him. Easy, easy, ready-made turnkey solution for Tom Telesco. I'm excited to watch the Chargers offense this year, even if no other fans show up to see them. (laughs) Well, they got a new stadium. Before we get out of here, one of the things, as I mentioned in, I don't know, I think our last episode is I'm tired of watching reruns and old games and, and whatever, but I was watching the 2014 Big Ten Championship game the other day. And of course, it was a Wisconsin win. They beat uh, Nebraska 70-31 to in the 2014 Big Ten Championship game in Indianapolis. Look at the running backs that Wisconsin had on their roster in 2014. The starter was a guy by the name of Monte Ball, 
who was a first overall, well, not the first overall, but a first-round draft pick of the Denver Broncos in the 2015 draft. I forgot about him. Right, and he's he's a drunk, and he's been to rehab, and and he's out of the league oh, now. Okay. He's just, he really... The Broncos just, had a bunch of different running backs in a short time there, like right. Moreno and Ball. And right, but Monte I, Ball yeah. was a first-round draft pick of, of the Broncos in 2015, and then he just started drinking oh, and, wow. and in... Right. Yeah, he's back in... Actually, he went back to Madison, um, re-enrolled at the University of Wisconsin, got his degree, and now he's working somewhere in the city of Madison, Wisconsin. Second string on that 2014 Big Ten championship team for the Wisconsin Badgers, a guy by the name of James White, oh, who's won, what, three, three rings or two or three well, rings already. Well, probably three, yeah. With the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. Third string on that 2014 Big Ten championship Wisconsin running back room, Melvin Gordon. That's what I thought, yeah. Wow, yeah. Pretty freaking good. You know, and you talk about this university being linebacker U, which they always give to Penn State, and they give offensive line U to Wisconsin because of all the offensive linemen. Well, my God, you've got three running backs, Monty Ball, James White, and Melvin Gordon on one roster, one team at one time. And now who do the Badgers have? Well, last year they had a guy by the name of Jonathan Taylor. And he's going to be, I think... He'll be a first-round draft pick of somebody. Yeah, he's going to be on fantasy radars, I think, depending where he goes. He could... I don't know. I'd like to see him go to a team that just needs, like Josh Jacobs last year in in the Raiders. Right. Just have him just step in there and be a fantasy star. I'll be interesting to... I'll be... I don't normally get excited about college players, and this honestly isn't because you're from Wisconsin, but I really like a lot... Everything I hear about this Jonathan Taylor mentally, physically... He's absolute top notch. I loved his performances. I'll be very interested to see where he goes. I hope he makes it as a big time running back. Oh, and I think he will. And and the the intellect this young man has. And remember, this is what Jonathan Taylor, and I've mentioned this before, but just to remind you folks, Jonathan Taylor's only two scholarship offers coming out of his high school in New Jersey was the Wisconsin Badgers, and the other one was Harvard. You have to have a pretty good head on your shoulders to get a scholarship offer to play at Harvard. Yeah. I mean, you're not a dummy if you're getting into Harvard. So I'll, let me ask you, and I don't know if you know this, but I, I would think you do. Uh, when Harvard offers someone a scholarship to play sports, I mean, obviously Harvard's not like a big sports university compared to the best right. sports universities. Right. right. But I mean, they, they would like to have uh, good guys. So, you know... A lot of schools will certainly, you know, bend their requirements or whatever just to get some top athletes. Harvard obviously is not going to do that to any ridiculous degree. Would they do that a little bit for no. somebody? You don't think they would do it not just, at a, all. just a touch? No, not no. at all. Not at an Ivy League school because, like you say, and you're absolutely right, it's not a big five power conference. Athletics is not does not rule the day on those Ivy League campuses. Not generally, but um, no. I mean, like, let's say, let's say the best prospect in the nation at some, at whatever sport also happened to be really smart and was like borderline like on the cusp of of being good enough to make it mentally at Harvard and get offered that maybe not quite maybe like just outside barely I don't think they I don't think they, they move the needle at all because no? remember I don't know how many months ago but we had I had kind of surprised you with a top 10 winningest all-time programs yeah. in major college football. And, Yale, and number there? eight on that list was Yale. Mm-hmm. But Yale hasn't won a national championship since like 1900-something. So obviously at that time, there weren't as many schools. But now as you're in the, in the you know, 21st century and we've got 152 Division 1A football programs 
and the Ivy League isn't one of those 152 uh, 1A programs. So, no, my gut feeling is telling you truthfully that they would not. They would not monkey with their academic requirements to get a superstar athlete because really what Harvard and Yale and Brown and Cornell and Princeton and all those Ivy League schools, I can... I can rattle them off. I can't get into those schools, but what they're looking for is academia. They're not looking for athletes. So do you know, what was Jonathan Taylor's uh, grade point average? Do you need to have 4.0 to get into? No, 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 no. But uh, I believe off the top of my head, his grade point average was somewhere between 3.75 and 4.0. Somewhere in there. So high three. Somewhere. Yeah, I wonder what the cutoff is for Harvard. I have no idea. High threes probably. For sure, because the... NCAA, the National Communists Against Athletes, mandatory, the lowest you can go grade point average is 2.5. To stay academically eligible to play big-time sports. Even the SEC? Yes. Really? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Well, they cheat, but uh, and I don't know that. I'm just throwing it out there because you look at guys like Leonard Fournette and you're sitting here going, he can't even spell 2.5. And you're probably right. But... Well, and I've told you this before. I know this as a fact. In 2018, the accumulative grade point average of the 25-man roster of the University of Wisconsin men's hockey program under Tony Granato was 3.0. That's really good. That's really good. That's really good. Um, we've got to run. We could go on forever and ever, but I, there's a lot of things I still and want to, Chris and I to get to this week. And so we'll put a wrap on this 493rd episode of Unscripted. As always, we'd like to thank you and hope that you continue to support us here at Unscripted at our now 18 different social media avenues. And remember, please, if you haven't, I can't rattle them off. Chris is going to send me the list. When I get the list, I'll rattle them off. But If you do get to one of our 18 different social media avenues, please take the time to subscribe. We can always use your subscription. That is the is the target focus of today. The word of the day is subscriptions to Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We thank you very much. And if you haven't done it already, we would uh, be very appreciative if you were able to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.